Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, Movement Church. You look fantastic, and I could hear you singing today, and most of you sound fantastic. Now, you did great. I'm so glad that you're here. You chose the right Sunday to be here, and I want to tell you right now, I'm honored that you're here simply because it's beautiful outside, and you're not at the beach. Can you give yourself a round of applause? Come on, like you mean it. I'm telling you, you chose the right Sunday to be here as we are concluding this series that we're in called The Table. Uh, If you've missed any of the previous weeks, I'm going to challenge you right now, make sure you go and listen to the podcast because you're missing some key components, and we want to help put the pieces together. But regardless, today, I believe God really has something in store for all of us as we jump back into this series. And so before I go any further, I want to actually read the scripture that we're pulling from for the duration of this. It's found in 2 Samuel. And listen, for those of you that maybe are new to church or maybe you're not really sure of how everything lines up in the scripture, I'm going to help unpack this for us because some of the stuff, honestly, it's a little bit confusing. And so my hope is we'll actually pull away some practical insights on how we can live life today. So we're reading from 2 Samuel, and if you didn't bring your Bible, I want to encourage you with this. Text the word notes to the number on our screen, and you'll get all of the notes that we've got for today, all the scriptures and the points that I'm making. You can follow along and to your heart's content, but let's read this. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, it says this. The king, who is named David, asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked, and Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodvar. So King David had him brought from Lodvar, from the house of Makir, son of Emil. And when Mephibosheth, everybody say Mephibosheth. That's a mouthful, right? That's his name. Don't you feel, first grade was horrible learning how to spell your name. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. David said, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Look at this. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Everybody say, at my table. Right here, this is probably one of the more important components of this scripture, and I've been sharing about this. It's the reason the name of our series is called The Table. Growing up, I'm, I'm one of seven kids, and my mom's one of 12. I've told you some of these stories before. I shared a lot of this on Easter, and there's always a lot of things happening in our home. We always had a lot of people visiting and a lot of people over hanging out, but there's one thing that took precedence no matter what day of the week, no matter what season we were in, and that was dinner around the table. Anybody else grow up like that? It didn't matter where you were. It didn't matter what time. Listen, at dinner time, we were sitting around the table, and this represented something so much bigger than just making sure we had sustenance to make it through the day or the week. Growing up for us, this is where family business was taking place. This is where we would laugh a lot and have a lot of fun times and a lot of energy around the table. But more importantly than that, it was a place where we were reminded of our identity. Hey, you're a Robinson. 
And not only that, but you have a place at this table. Look at me. You belong right here. It was where I grew up knowing, man, I belong in this family. And that's what this series is about. Letting everyone in this room know that there is a place where God says you belong. This table, this proverbial table where he says, no, no, there's always a seat at my table for you, not your neighbor, because we don't really like your neighbor, but you, just specifically for you. And our hope for that this, throughout this entire series and with the biggest goal that we have, hey, lean in for just a moment. The biggest goal that we have is that you would recognize above everything else that God is positioning you in places that you do not deserve. He has a great purpose and a hope. The scripture says a hope and a future. And these aren't things, look at me, you can't earn this. You don't deserve this. You can't work to get this. God says, no, I've got this for you. I, my hope, I, I want you to expect God's best for your life and not your best effort. Not the great things that you bring to the table, but the fact that God has a table for you. I want to pray as we dive into this, and I, I've got a lot to share in a few, uh, a, a short amount of time, so my hope is I can preach fast. If you listen well and laugh loud, I'll preach really fast today. So before we dive in, would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray, and just ask God to open our hearts to what He wants to do in our lives today. God, we thank you that you're in this place. Lord, I just thank you. What, the song that we just sang, the words, the lyrics of that song, that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. In other words, God, that you are bringing things to life in me, whether it's dreams or hopes or just the realization that I am not the summation of my past. So God, today, over the next few moments that we have together, my prayer, my hope, my desire is that you would open our hearts and our ears God, that we can hear and receive everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you missed week one, it, it's really kind of kicked off the series, obviously, and the whole point of that message, message was to let you know, let us know that your seat is searching for you. That God literally is looking for you, saying, man, I, I just really desperately want to be in relationship with you. Often I feel like we have this idea or mentality that God is off hidden in the far reaches of the earth. And if we get good enough, if we get, you know, remove all the junk enough, then God will show up. But no, God is like, hey, I've got a seat for you and I, I'm waiting for you. And you know what? It's secure. It's not going anywhere. There's nothing you can do that removes the fact that you have a seat at my table, not your past, not your heritage, not the times that you ran away from me, not the times that you were in the dark season of your soul. God's like, man, I've always got a seat waiting for you. Week two, we talked about how, man, let's not hesitate. Let's take advantage of the fact that God is desperately looking for us, seeking for us. And let's not hesitate. Let's let nothing hinder us from stepping into the fullness of what God does have. And last week, Megan dropped bombs in this place. She dropped bombs talking about how we've got to realize that this is an inside job. We've got to slay insecurity. Everybody say slay insecurity. And today we conclude this series with an observation from really studying the life of Mephibosheth. Studying his life and the nuances. I told you I'd give you a little bit of background. So Mephibosheth is the grandson to the first king of the nation of Israel. His grandfather's name was Saul. And Saul made some poor choices and he lost the kingdom. And Mephibosheth, at the age of five, was 
dropped by his nanny and he became lame. Some of you thinking my husband's lame, maybe he was dropped. This is a different kind of lame. <laughs> different kind of lame. He was dropped and was paralyzed and, and could not walk anymore. And what Mephibosheth didn't know is that his father, Jonathan, went to King David and said, hey, if I die, would you take care of my family? Would you treat my family kindly? And David said, I, I, absolutely. Your family will always have a seat at my table. So David found Mephibosheth, who was paralyzed and hiding out in a distant town, a place where people would go to be forgotten. And he invited Mephibosheth to his table, and he said, hey, Mephibosheth, you will always have a seat at the king's table. And so sit, he did. And I would imagine if I was Mephibosheth in the beginning, it would have been a little bit awkward because the people seated around the table of the king were either his family or the appointed people that were helping rule and run that country. And Mephibosheth was, was not supposed to be there. Technically, he didn't belong. And he was having to relearn what it was like to live and eat at the palace of the king. After a while, those around him probably started correcting him, saying, no, no, that's not what we do. We don't, we don't do that. We, we do this. And I, I would imagine that it, it was challenging for him. But after a while, he probably settled, settled into his seat at the table and, and it started to get comfortable. I would imagine due to the limitations that he had, he probably would wake up early and get to the table before anyone else did because in those days, if you were paralyzed or crippled, you were considered an outcast. So he would probably show up before anyone else did so they wouldn't be reminded of his limitations. And life continued. The kingdom began to grow and he would hear story after story of battles won and battles lost. The faces probably changed around the table as the kingdom began to develop and grow and progress. And pretty soon, Mephibosheth also, his own wealth and his own uh, family began to increase. His territory began to expand. And now as we conclude this series, Mephibosheth is being faced with a new challenge, a new temptation than ever before. Up until this point, his greatest challenge, his greatest temptation was one of insecurity which is what Megan talked about last week. But then as he began to settle, something began to shift and he began to allow pride to win. I actually do belong here. I, I deserve this seat at the table. In fact, this entire kingdom belongs to my family after all. And really, you know, I, I'm starting to get some influence and, and I'm gaining some wealth. I would probably have more influence and more power if I would go and settle and begin a new kingdom somewhere else. And I believe that we often face two challenging mindsets as we take a seat at the table. And if you're here, you're not sure what it is you believe, permission to belong before you believe. But my hope and prayer is that all of us take a seat at the table God has prepared for us. And when we do, we'll face two different challenges. One is the victim mentality. Megan spoke about this last week. It's the idea that everyone else is to blame for the challenges that I face. And the second challenge, which is what we're going to talk about today, and I believe is what began to surface in the life of Mephibosheth, is the entitled mentality. The entitled mentality says, give me what's mine. Give me what's mine. In fact, it's this, this notion that you're lucky I even showed up today. You're welcome. I tell my wife that every morning. You're welcome. <laughs> she runs away. I don't understand why. 
we have this perspective, I think, not only in, in life, but I actually think we actually look at God like, hey, you're welcome. You're lucky I showed up to church today, God. Oh, yeah, I, I decided to pray and read my Bible. You're welcome. Like God's going, oh, I was wondering what the Bible said. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? The entitled mentality actually has the audacity to tell God, I'm ready now. I'm ready. I've learned everything I need to learn, and I'm good to go, God. Thanks for checking in on me. I'll let you know what to do next. And the chief culprit of entitlement is the attitude of pride. And this is what began to surface in the life and the mentality of Mephibosheth. And I want to take a few moments today and unpack three ways to eliminate entitlement while remaining seated at the table. I want to challenge you to take notes. Text the word notes to the number on the screen. Follow along. I think this is going to be some practical things you and I can take away and apply to our life today. Number one, always remain covered. Say always remain covered. Always remain covered. I don't know about you, but 99% of the time, it's impossible for me to sit still. Still, Is anybody else like that out here? Like I, I'm either, any, how many of you right now are shaking your leg as you're sitting there? Awesome, you're my people, right? Listen, there is a season. At, by the way, at the Movement Church, none of us have got it all figured out. Most of us are pretty jacked up, and we're just trying to get better. Hide your kids, hide your wife, put your purse under your seat. You don't know who you're sitting next to. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm not. So listen, we're all a little bit jacked up, of, of which I'm the chief culprit. And there was a season a few years back where I was getting some therapy. And by the way, we, we're big fans of counseling. I think it's a great thing. And, and I, as I told you, I'm a little bit jacked up. And so I was getting some therapy, walking through, dealing with things like depression and anxiety. And anybody else deal with that kind of stuff? Okay, me too. Thanks for being friends today. And I was sitting there and after about 16 sessions, 16 weeks, is this too transparent? Am I allowed to talk about this as a pastor? Okay, good. Y'all got real quiet like, <gasps> I thought everything was perfect. And it is. And so after about 16 weeks of going to therapy, and I finally looked at Jerry, who's this great dude. He's a believer, was a pastor for 15 years. Like, Jerry, I need some feedback, bro. If you've ever been to counseling, they just like to listen a whole lot. And I can talk, but after a while, you got to tell me something to do. And so after 16 weeks, like, Jerry, I need some feedback, bro. Where am I at? And I'm sitting there, I'm shaking my leg, and I'm spinning my phone. He's like, I think you may have ADHD. And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, seriously, I think you might have a hyperactive brain. And I go, what would give you that idea? And I, he goes, uh, have you ever noticed that you can't stop moving while you're here? And I froze. And he literally fell out of his seat with uncontrollable laughter. <laughs> so then I had to go to therapy for my therapy. But anyways, moving on. It's one thing to have restless leg syndrome where you can't stop moving. Or, or to have like this, this spastic attention span like the dog in the movie Up. Anybody else out there? Okay. It's one thing to ha have a restless leg syndrome or, or, or you, literally be ADD or ADHD or as you're for like me, ADDDDDDDD. It's a completely different story becoming restless in the place that God has positioned me. I, I think that we see this over and over and over again. In fact, I told you my hope through this series is that you would hold on to and, and cling to the fact that God is positioning you, like placing you like strategically. And if he has positioned you, listen and look at me for a moment, he has equipped you. He's given you the tools needed to accomplish the things he set before. And if he has equipped you, then that means that he has specifics for you. And if he has specifics in mind, look at me, then that means he has a time frame. He has a time frame. 
and this is where we lose it. I think some of us in this room are suffering from RDS, what I'm affectionately calling restless destiny syndrome. Don't Google that, because if something else pops up, I have no clue. <laughs> I'm not responsible for your Google searches. This restless destiny syndrome, running from one thing to the next thing, always looking for something new, instead of just simply staying seated where, where God has me. And I'm just shifting career to career, a house to house, hobby to hobby, husband to husband. No, that's a different story. And I'm just constantly shifting from one thing to the next, always looking for something new because I'm getting kind of frustrated and impatient in the process of just waiting on what God wants to do. I would imagine that it was extremely frustrating for Mephibosheth as he sat at the table, seeing countless faces going in and out, going to this battle and then to another and, and, and watching them talk about changes in the kingdom and, and always having to stay inside. And I think that some of you might have walked in today feeling like you're missing out on something, but perhaps you're just sitting in God's will right now. When Mephibosheth was seated at the table, you notice that his handicap is covered. At the table, you didn't know he couldn't walk. And some of us need to just remain covered. Why? Because it's not time yet because you have issues. And if you don't think you have issues, that is your issue. <laughs> now, whether you want to believe it or not, we're all a little handicapped. Why? Because we're human. And often God, when he's positioning us, not often, always, his timing is perfect and if we prematurely jump, we'll miss out and probably fall flat on our face in a way that we don't have to. And Paul said something very similar to this in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, I was given a gift of a handicap. Look at that. To keep me in constant touch, to remind me of my limitations. In other words, we need to be reminded sometimes that we're not strong enough and that's okay. To remind me of my limitations. At first, he said, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Paul said, three times I did that. God, please take this from me. Other translations referred to it as a thorn in the flesh. And then God spoke to Paul, and he said, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My grace is all you need. Look at this. God said, my strength comes into its own in your weakness. Paul was like, God, get, I just, I'm ready. I'm ready, God. Take this from me. And God's like, nope. Why, God? Because it reminds you that you need me. And it magnifies the power of my grace. The fact that the only reason I could sit at this table is because God's grace is sufficient. And when I move from the position that the king has placed me in, I'm on my own. And my friends, it shows. My job is to simply stay seated where God puts me. But I'm going to tell you the challenge isn't only just in me. The fact is, is, is true that there's an enemy out to get us. The Bible refers to the enemy as the adversary, Satan. And he's doing everything he can to get us out of the seat that God has positioned us in. I want to tell you about three things that the enemy will use to try to remove you from this position. It's worth writing down. Number one, he'll use, he'll try to offend you out of your position. Wow. 
I can't tell you how many people are not currently serving God or walking in the fullness of their purpose simply because they got offended. I wasn't chosen, or they didn't pick me, or they picked somebody else, or I was overlooked, or people talked down to me, or people look at me and they think that I'm a failure, and so I'm out. I'll never forget a few years back, in the beginning stages of our church, I sat down with a couple, and, and they were very upset with one of the leaders in our church. I know that's crazy, right? And they were very offended and frustrated at something that took place in this wife began to tell me about something that one of our key leaders had done. She began to unpack the things that he had said. He said this, and then he said this, and he said that, and I was, I was angry. I was like, he said that? Are you kidding me? He literally said that to you? And she looked at me, leaning across the table. She goes, no, but he was thinking it, and I could tell. (laughs) Okay. He was thinking it, and you could tell. I mean, so often we get offended at things that aren't even really a big deal. Now, listen to me. There are some things that really happen that you are justified in your offense. But but let me explain to you what the Scripture says. Offense literally is a choice based on the notion that someone treated me wrong. Now, whether it's a great offense or a small offense, The Bible actually gives us a perspective of how we're to handle people who offend us or sin against us. And it's a bummer. Don't you hate it when the Bible of Jesus jukes you? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now this is literally, this is, the Bible says, when someone sins against you or offends you, here's how you are to respond. Look at how it starts out. Now is the time to forgive this man or woman. Now is the time when they violated you, when they neglected you, when they abandoned you, when they mistreated you, when they talked poorly about you, when they stabbed you in the back, when they weren't there for you, when they should have been there for you. The scripture says right there in that moment is the time to forgive and it doesn't stop there. Look at what it says. And help him back on his feet again. And it continues. It just keeps stinging a little bit longer. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. Look at this. My counsel now is to pour on love. This is non-negotiable. You might be justified in how you feel. But if you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, the Bible gives us a mandate that when someone offends us or hurts us, we're to choose forgiveness. It doesn't mean you have to retrust them again or to allow them access to your life again. But we are to show love again. Don't let the enemy offend you out of your position. He'll try to offend you out of your position, and you know what else he'll try to do? He'll try to promote you out of your position. Thanks, Megan. He'll try to promote you out of your position. See, the enemy knows that we get restless, and he knows that, that we, we get frustrated or tired in waiting on God. I've been sitting in this chair. And so what he'll do is disguise things that look amazing. In fact, 2 Corinthians refers to the enemy, to Satan, as an angel of light. He disguises himself as something that looks amazing, but it's not quite God. If he can't offend you or get you to choose sin to get out of the position God's given you, he will create a distraction that looks amazing for you. And in our restlessness... 
He creates opportunities and promotions and adventures, but rarely, my friends, rarely do they lead you to the place where God has you. They rarely, do they, rarely do they lead you to the place that God has for you. I don't know if, if, if you guys are like me, I kind of geek out and nerd out anytime I can watch National Geographic. How many of you love uh, Shark Week and shows like this? Yes, okay, thank you. The rest of you are praying for your soul. I don't know if you know this, but there's a fish that's deep in the ocean called the deep sea angler. Anyone know, ever, ever heard of this? How many of you have seen Finding Nemo? Dory and Nemo's father get chased by one of these and you're like, oh, now I get it, Pixar, thank you. These guys live so deep. Oh, look, we have a picture. This is it right here. A deep sea angler. They live so deep in the water that the surface light can't actually reach them. In fact, this section of the ocean is referred to as the midnight zone, where darkness becomes overwhelming. And isn't that what often life can feel like? Like overwhelmed by darkness. And so what the deep sea angler will do is this little antenna will rise up and at the, that little bulb on the top literally begins to glow in the dark. And it's done so by a bioilluminescent bacteria from within the angler. And so in the middle of this pitch black, that little bulb begins to glow and it looks oh so exciting and adventurous to little fish and little squid. But little do they know that it's going to end in their demise because the deep sea angler is using that as an enticement, as a lure to pull them in only to eat them. Yeah. And this is exactly what the enemy does to you and to me. He distracts us with something that's bright and shiny, that looks super exciting. But really what he's doing is just pulling us in the wrong direction. Just pulling us in the wrong direction. Let me tell you something else interesting about the deep sea angler. As I was researching this, I found out a little bit more. I geek out over it, so forgive me. When it comes time to mate, the female will turn on that bulb and, and make it illuminescent and, and lure and entice the male anglers in, but they mate in quite a different way. When the male gets close to the female angler, what he'll actually do is bite her in the side. And then his mouth releases an enzyme which actually closes the wound, fusing his mouth to her permanently and they become one. So now the male has the sustenance he needs at any time, and she's able to reproduce at any time. And my friends, this is exactly how the enemy works. In our restlessness, as we're sitting and just waiting, the enemy will use things that look exciting and adventurous to birth a new dream on the inside that seems right, but it's not a God dream. And then we live our life Chasing and pursuing something that we birthed on the inside, and it's close, but not close enough. It's like putting together a thousand-piece puzzle, only to get to the end, finding there's a few pieces missing. And let me tell you the scariest thing about this. The scariest thing about this is extinguishing the dream that you have created is far more difficult than actually living out the dream that God created you for. I'm telling you, I've had conversations like that over and over with, young, with grown men and women who, who knew God was speaking something to them early on, but they pursued something, and it wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't God. It didn't stay positioned where God had them, and now they're in this life 15 years later, 20 years later, and the, the choices to shift and to redirect are far more painful and costly. That's what the enemy will try to do is to promote you out of your position. And the third thing that the enemy will do is manipulate you out of your position. Here's the thoughts that are his favorite. Look at me for a moment. 
This is the, he, the enemy's never creative. It's the same things over and over again. He's just crafty. And you know what his favorite thought is? No one else really understands what you're going through. And no one else has actually been here before. You're the only one who seems to struggle with this. And there was those times that you, you tried to remove this from your life, but you just keep coming back to it. It's just going to probably always be where you're at. No one deals with the struggles that you do. And what he does is very craftily, he tricks us into isolation, into a place of being alone. Let me tell you, one place that you need to remain seated is in relationships. Not just relationships in general, but godly friendships and godly relationships. People that believe the best in you. I'm telling you, you can be physically in a place fully there, but have withdrawn emotionally. There was a recent article about the Vegas shooter. I think the biggest question that all of us had was why? Why did he do this? And they were trying to figure this thing out. And one of the questions that came up is, why is it that, that men seem to be more prone to these horrific actions? And you know, one of the common denominators that they found wasn't because men are more prone to be violent or aggressive or angry, but because men are more prone to withdraw and to be isolated. And I don't think it's just a gender thing. I think it's a humanity thing. You know, when we isolate, it's when we struggle the most. We don't want people to know the things that we're dealing with and we're walking through, and it's just overwhelming at times. Because the enemy works with that tactic. Nobody understands. If you say that, they'll look at you differently. They'll treat you differently. And so we isolate and we withdraw. And I want to tell you, you don't have to live that way. That's not God's design for you. That's why we do connect groups at the Movement Church. Nothing we do is out of tradition nor gimmick. It's out of intention. We didn't ask 30 people to open up their homes and do connect groups weekly so we can trick you into it. We do connect groups because life change happens within the context of relationships. It's in circles, not in rows. So when I sit across from coffee with Nate and, and, and we talk about the life that we're walking through, the challenges that we're facing, and we help each other grow. That's why we do connect groups. We're about to start a semester. You don't have to live life in isolation. We only do semesters for six weeks. You can do anything for six weeks. Your kid's baseball team plays for 42 weeks. This is really short. Today, we're going to give you a chance to connect in some of those. And, and I'm going to challenge you. I'm telling you, I believe this is the greatest way to make sure you remain positioned where God has placed you. Let me tell you what you need. You don't just need people who can give you high fives. You need people who know your kryptonite. They know, they know your silver bullet. The thing that you, you, you if, you're not, if you're not careful, that thing's going to take you out. And you need people in your life that know that. If you don't have people in your life that know your kryptonite, you're fooling yourself. You also need people in your life that know your trigger points. Most of us are most susceptible to poor choices when we're in high stress. What does high stress look like for you? It's probably different for me. You need people in your life that know that you also need people in your life that know your dreams. You can say, come on, I believe in you. You've got this. That's what connect groups are for. I love how Psalm 68 puts this. God, God is always so good at how he says it. Look at this. God places the lonely in families. In other words, you don't have to live life in isolation. He sets the prisoners free. 
and he gives them joy. Just a little shameless plug. If you're a dude, I have a connect group every Saturday at 8 a.m. Text the number 10 to the number on the screen, and you can come hang out. It's going to be awesome. Why? Because I'm there. You weren't laughing enough, so I keep going until you laugh a little louder. God has positioned you. I'm telling you, God has positioned you. So remain there until he moves you. Always remain covered. Always remain covered. Number two, look to cover others. Look to cover others. So I'm seated in this position that God has placed me in. So what do I do? Do I just sit here? Just kind of wait and twiddle my thumbs and just kind of hang out? Absolutely not. God never wastes a moment. He's intentional about every moment of every day. So when God seats you in a position of influence or opens doors that you do not deserve or when you feel like you're restless or when you feel like you're winning, Make it your business to go out and find other people and bring them to the table. Let them know that there's room for you here. David allowed Mephibosheth to sit at the table. Why? He was returning the favor to Saul when David was a nobody, when he was just a poor, lonely shepherd out in the field. Saul saw, the king Saul saw something in David and invited him into the palace. So David returned that, and I think you and I should be looking for people constantly to invite them to the table and say, hey, there's a space for you here. I think the enemy's gotten so crafty at making our spirituality about me and my own spiritual growth, and we lose sight of the hundreds of thousands of people who live next door to you, work with you, live down the street from you, that just desperately need to know the hope of who Jesus is, which sounds like saying, man, there's always a seat for you at the table. One of my favorite preachers had a statement he would say all the time, and that is, found people, find people. If you're here and you're not sure what you believe, permission to belong before you believe, but if you're here and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, there's a mandate on your life to be looking for people who are not here yet. Moses found Joshua. David found Mephibosheth. Paul found Timothy. Jesus found us. So find people and invite them to a seat at the table. And the same table that you're seated at. It looks different for so many of us. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says. He comforts us in all of our troubles. You, you and I have different troubles. All of us do. But he's the same God who comforts. And he comforts us so that we can what? Comfort others. So that we can invite others to the table. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. I'm telling you, look at me in the eyes. There's a mandate on our life. We can never stop inviting people to sit at the table. Never get so comfortable in your spiritual journey at the table that you forget and don't, that, that you and I really don't belong here. But it's God's grace that's created a way for us to sit here. Never get so busy enjoying the food at the table that you don't stop to look out and see who's not here yet. And I'm not just talking about the table of salvation. 
Listen, our hope is that everyone in this room has an opportunity to know God, that God's given them hope for the future, to begin a relationship with him. But I'm talking about the, the, the table of where you're seated. Maybe you're here and, and your marriage was a disaster. And you had moments or chapters in your life where everything was falling apart, but God radically and miraculously did something in your life. Then go out and find people who have broken and fragmented marriages and bring them to the table. Maybe you're here and, and you had this highly dysfunctional family. And by the way, welcome to the club. We all do. And, and you found health and life in church. And, and you realize, man, there's a seat at the table. Then go find people who need a healthy family and say, hey, there's a seat for you right by me. Every empty seat in this room doesn't represent the fact you don't have to awkwardly sit by a stranger. It represents a life that needs to know that there's hope in who Jesus is. We can't miss this opportunity and, and overlook the fact that we have a mandate on our life. Winston Churchill said it best. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We've got to be constantly inviting people to the table. Always remain covered. Look to cover others. And number three, don't hide your handicap. Look at me, don't hide your handicap. What, what's your story and the scars that you have? Maybe for you, if you're like me, it's the scars of poor choices and chapters of your life that you wish you could destroy. Or maybe your scars are a violation of trust done to you by a loved one and, and it took a long journey to overcome those things. Whatever it is, don't hide your handicap. It's exactly what people need. I love how the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, he, he, God used him, the Holy Spirit used him to write things that are the very tenets of the faith that we believe. He planted more churches than any other organization, and he was writing to someone that he was mentoring named Timothy. And, and he said, hey, I want to tell you something that's so important to know. He said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love this next part. He said, and I am the worst of them all. He didn't say, I've got it figured out. He said, I've got a seat at the table because God's grace is sufficient. I've got a seat at the table because God in his infinite mercy and his love said, hey, there's always a place for you here. And until the end of time, our job is to help people recognize there's a seat for you at this table. And the greatest way, look at me in the eyes, the greatest way that you can reach people who are not at the table yet is by letting them see your handicap, by letting them see your scars. And you'll find that more often than not, people will say, oh, you struggle with that? Me too. And guess what? There's a seat for you at the table. Some of you, when I talked about getting therapy, you breathe a sigh of relief, like you're not, you're not a crazy person. Well, you might be, but that's a different story. It's like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to be perfect. Let the people around you see your scars. That's what the world needs. Why? Because our scars point to the grace of who God is. They point to the grace of who God is. Everyone that you see around here has stories. Joel, our drummer, 
She's a great dude, loves the Lord. He can't even hear what I'm saying because he's behind this soundproof glass. He can hear. And I know his story. And he's kind of jacked up. And he's working on getting better. And he has a seat at the table, not because he figured it out quicker, but because God says, hey, I have a seat for you. Tanner really is kind of perfect. Unless you talk to his mom. He's not got it all figured out. Even though both of us roll our jeans kind of the same, it's okay, get over it. There's a seat at the table. Jeremy, I know Jeremy's story and he's really jacked up. He doesn't deserve a, a, a place up here, but God says, oh, I've got a seat at the table. David, our vocalist who sang the resurrected king, if he could tell you his story, if he could tell you his story, you'd say, oh, you, you struggle with that, me too. And he doesn't deserve a seat at the table, but God says, hey, it's here for you. And, and if, we, if we live a life that says, man, I've got a position and I'm going to stay covered. And there's empty seats around, but I'm not consumed with or concerned with the fact that there's empty seats. And we're wasting and squandering the precious gift of grace that God has give, uh, given to us. Doesn't mean you have to be a fanatic and put on a Jesus shirt and stand in your cubicle and scream, turn or burn. And if you do that, don't bring people to my church. But man, who's not at the table yet? This is why we exist as a church. It's why we do connect groups, so that when you get here, you have a place where people can know your kryptonite and know your dreams and celebrate both. We exist as a church to make room for more people and make sure that every single individual in Orange County knows there's a seat that's searching for you. You can't earn it. You, you can't even work your way into it. It's just yours. And it's going nowhere. So why don't you join me at the table? How many of you would just say honestly and openly, you know, I've got some work to do. I, I, I need to be better at inviting people to the table. Would you just raise your hand for me? Thank you for being honest. I'm going to pray for us. I'm gonna pray for us, and here's what I'm gonna pray before we close our eyes and bow our heads. Here's what I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that literally God would wake you up in the middle of the night with friends and coworkers and neighbors who just desperately need to know that there's a seat with them, for them. And I'm gonna pray that, that literally it will captivate your soul to a point you can't rest until you get them to church or share your story. And then I'm gonna pray God will give us boldness that when it's time, to speak, we have the boldness to do so. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody moving around. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Just for a moment, I want to pray for us today that God would do something miraculous in us, that he would awaken us to the fact that there are empty seats around the table and people that need to know the hope of who Jesus is. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would, in a miraculous way, open our eyes and our minds to see the people who are not here yet, to recognize that my seat at the table is a gift of grace that I don't deserve, and as long as I'm seated here, I'm gonna bring everybody with me that I can. 
that it'll be the mandate that I live by. God, that we would not be ashamed and hide behind the scars of our life, not hide behind the handicaps of our life, but God, we would recognize that the scars and the handicaps literally point people to you, to the grace that is you. So God, I pray that we would have boldness to speak up, to share our story, to bring our friends with us to church, to dive into connect groups where we can build relationships that last and relationships that change. So God, I pray that you would do something miraculous in the way that only you can. And I pray, God, you would stir that up inside of us right now in a powerfully profound way. In the mighty and the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.